Galatians 5, 16, and 17. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. Thanks, Marie, for reading that scripture for us today. So there's man's way, and then there's God's way. See, as humans, we are born of the flesh. But as God's chosen children, we are reborn by the Spirit. And we're to live by the Spirit. The Apostle Paul explains this this contrast in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 17, when he writes, So I say, walk by the Spirit, so you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that the, you are not to do whatever you want. Now, the, the New Living Translation of the same text for verse 16 says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature desires. We can try to live a holy life, but we are sinners. We sin daily. Ever since Adam and Eve first disobeyed God in the garden of Eden and ate from the forbidden fruit from the tree of good and evil, we have been living in the consequences of original sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin is basically a moral evil. It is a transgression against God's laws or a flat-out rebellion against God's laws. So when we think of sin, we sometimes think of death. The wages of sin is death. And as humans, we will one day face our own mortal death. We believe that, as Christians, we believe that our bodies will pass away, but our souls will live on eternally in either heaven or hell. And it seems that fear of death drives a lot of people to try to control all aspects of their life, to try to either avoid or delay the inevitable. But as believers, are we really to live in this kind of fear? I mean, do we not believe that the word of God is God-breathed? And does it not say in Job chapter 14, verse 5, that God determines the number of our days? What it actually says about God is, it says, you have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we're not given a minute longer. Now, that right there gives me complete reassurance that I'm not going to go a second before my time or a second after. Now, normally, I, I don't think that I, I live my life in fear of death, but sometimes it will crop up. And it's really good to have this verse at the forefront of my, of my mind because it gives me that reassurance once again that God is in control of my life. Now, at the beginning of the pandemic, I did have a couple nights where I woke up and I was just riddled with anxiety because I had symptoms, those or like even just one symptom. And so I called one of my friends and she prayed over me for healing. I fell back asleep. I woke up the next morning. I was fine. But shortly after a couple of those episodes, I found myself in my car on my way home. And I went through an intersection near my house. And all of a sudden, as I was going through the light, another car 
ran the red light and whipped right in front of me. And it missed me by probably about a fraction of a hair. And I know this because I felt the wind from that car actually push against the front of my vehicle. And in that instant, I had an aha moment. You know those aha moments? Yeah, so in that moment, it really, the truth really sunk in for me that God really is in control of my life. That I'm not going to go a second before my time. That he orchestrated it just exactly so that that car went past right before we hit each other. We didn't collide, but it was so obvious to me how easily that could have happened and that God orchestrated it because it obviously was not my time to go. Now, as believers in Christ, we are to live in the world. It is our temporary home. Where else are we going to live, right? But we're not to be of it. So what this kind of looks like is in, we, can, we can look to Romans 12, verse 2, where it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that renewing of our mind happens because of Christ. Jesus does that. But we have choices to make in terms of the being conformed to the pattern of the world. We can choose what we watch, what we listen to, who we hang around, even what we believe. But this can be difficult to do, to resist those patterns. And we're going to talk a little bit about those patterns pretty soon. Now, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, um, it says, basically it illustrates that these struggles that we face, these desires that we face. And it says, um, that there's, it points out that there's three main desires, okay? So for everything in the world, it says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So let's break this down to understand what these three worldly traps really mean for us. So first of all, they're not just physical entities. They are actually attitudes of the heart. So the lust of the flesh, that is a craving for excessive or inappropriate physical pleasure. It's kind of like a, preoccupa a preoccupation with self-gratification. So it can look like, um, you know, kind of consuming too many sweets or um, pornography or adultery. Those are just some examples. The lust of the eyes is when we covet things that we see that we don't have. So Basically, it is um, if something belongs to someone else and we fixate on wanting that, then that would be coveting that thing. It can be material things. It can be relationships, people. Um, so it could, you know, an example would be um, coveting your neighbor's fancy new car or your best friend's cottage or a different spouse even. The pride of life. This is basically anything that puts the focus, when we put our focus on ourselves instead of on God. It's anything that drives us towards arrogance and self-pride. So it could be boasting um, about our accomplishments. It could be always trying to be the center of attention. And as flesh-driven humans, we are driven towards a desire for independence even toddlers start off by saying things like, me do, or do it myself. And that's coming from a developmental stage where they're seeking self-sufficiency 
and that goes all carries all the way into adulthood and that that desire for independence is not a bad thing at all in fact it's good the problem arises when we push god out of the way when we exclude him this becomes pride when we think we don't need god or that we know better than god or that we are better than other people that god created so idolatry that can stem from this as well where that happens when we place anything else above god and that can even be where we place ourselves above god and we worship that thing and you know we were kind of created we were created to worship um, but it can become dangerous when we worship anything other than God. And those kinds of um, things that we worship, we could worship fame, we could worship money or the desire for a relationship, we could even worship um, or idolize our social life. Now, a real tension arises when we realize that we are limited, we are not actually able to save ourselves, not from sin and not from death. Psalm 146 verse 3 tells us, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. And we can do one of two things here when we're faced with this reality. We can either dig our heels in, resist God, not trust him, and put our reliance on um, social constructs that might try to give us a sense of, um, a false sense of security, or we can surrender our lives to Christ. Now, it is very important to realize when we're talking about um, the world and the worldly things and the desires of the flesh, that we acknowledge that the ruler of the human systems, that is Satan. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he is the father of all lies. And these lies, they can ensnare us. They can set up camp deep within our minds. And they can just wreak havoc and destruction on our physical health, our emotional health, our mental health, our spiritual health, um, our relationships with other people, and even how we view God. And it's, it's this distortion of the truth that comes from these lies. He's the great accuser. He is the great blame shifter. He is trying to tempt us and scare us and divide us. And why? Ultimately, because he is trying to block our relationship with God. He's trying to isolate us from Jesus. See, he knows he's a defeated foe. He knows that he's already lost the war, but he is trying to take down as many casualties as he can along the way until he is just trampled down for good. And the world systems, the world system feeds the greed and the sinful, prideful desires of our hearts. When we succumb to these sinful desires, then we are living man's way. That's when we're living man's way of the flesh. Mark, um, the book of Mark, chapter 7, verse 21, depicts what our fleshly human nature entails. And let me tell you, it is not pretty. It says, for, the, for it is from within, out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come sexual immorality theft murder adultery greed malice deceit lewd, lewdness envy slander pride and foolishness we can actually be in bondage to these fleshly desires be, through being entrenched in the elemental spiritual principles of the world big words what do they mean well we find them in colossians chapter 2 verse 8 
when Paul directs this message to the believers of the church at Colossae, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So we know that they are not godly, these elemental spiritual forces of the world. In her Bible study, Now That Faith Has Come, a study of Galatians, biblical scholar and teacher Beth Moore actually describes these elemental spiritual principles or forces of the world. And she uses an example or a definition by a different theologian named David De Silva. And I just think it gives us a really good detailed explanation of what this concept means. He says, fundamental principles, they are fundamental principles on which social reality, which is the world of human systems, interaction and activity, is constructed and by which it's governed. Um, they are especially the categories that divide, order, and um, create hierarchy within social reality, as well as the rationales that undergird the same. So a simpler explanation, because I know that's a big mouthful, um, could just be saying the elemental spiritual forces of the world are the fundamental principles or ideas that belong to a secular fallen world. And I would even add that they are um, that they also have the, you know, the demonic um, forces involved so that they are entrenched in the, the, the darkness, the, the dark spiritual realm. Because we know that um, Satan is in the, the ruler of these worldly systems. So some examples of these worldly principles are, and they can change over time, they aren't, they aren't necessarily static, um, because it's, you know, part of these social constructs. But examples could be um, the inequality among the sexes. It could be a belief that some are inferior to others because of the color of their skin. It could be that uh, the belief that physical attractiveness equates to value. It could be the belief that wealth will bring happiness or that your, st your status, your job status or your paycheck makes you a somebody. And then take that one step further and people can even worship your status. So think of um, celebrity worship. Now we just explored man's way of living. That's all man's way of living. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. What is God's way? Well, it can be found in John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God's way is found through his Son. It starts right there, dying to ourselves and being reborn in Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit, living by the Spirit of God in us. God's way involves surrendering our lives to Jesus, letting go and trusting God to guide us in all aspects of our lives. It's a turning away from sin and a believing belief in the gospel message. And this is the gospel message in a nutshell. Jesus is the Messiah, the divine son of God. And he died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected on the third day, overcoming death so that we who believe in him are forgiven and that we can be reconciled to God and that we can inherit his kingdom, that we can spend eternity in heaven with God. See, the remedy for original sin is found in receiving God's grace, 
See, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. God's way means living in freedom from the bondage of sin and death. Now, you may have heard the truth. You may have believed the truth. But but trust me, you and I are not above slipping and falling. Um, Even Christ followers can slip back into old patterns that can distort the truth of the gospel message. Even Peter, even Peter, um, who walked with Jesus while he was on this earth, even walked with him on the water for a minute, and then witnessed his resurrected self um, walking around, even he slipped and distorted the gospel message. So here's some background to the story. It's going to be found in um, Galatians chapter 2. But the background is that the Jewish people, from the time that they escaped um, slavery, from the time that they escaped the Egyptians and walked through the Red Sea, to the time that Jesus walked the earth as both God and man, they followed the law of Moses. And the law of Moses was given to them by God for a purpose. It had a purpose. So the purpose at the time was to guide and instruct God's people to point out their sin and to point towards the fact that they needed a savior because the law itself couldn't save them. So when the time was right, God sent his son to do this, to save them by embodying the purpose of the the law and by fulfilling it. So Jesus bore the curse of the law. He took our place. And once Jesus fulfilled this prophesied act, then the law was no longer needed. Now at the time that we're going to be reading about in Galatians 2, Peter had been sitting and eating with the Gentile believers. Gentile means non-Jewish. So he was sitting with the the people who belonged to the Galatian church. Um, They were not Jewish, but they believed in Jesus. They were new believers. And Peter himself, he was, a Jew, he was Jewish, as were many of Jesus' followers and apostles. Jesus himself was Jewish. And yet God had shown Peter just recently, um, before this happened, that all people, all people are welcome in God's sight, that all can be made right with God, that all are welcome to come and sit at the table. Yet despite this, despite knowing this and having had this revelation by God, Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles and he stopped doing this because of the arrival of this small group of Jewish believers in Christ who were, um, they were insisting that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised. So even though the message of the gospel is that we are saved by grace and not our own works, they were still insisting on one part of the Jewish law to be um, carried out in order for these people to be saved. So that was a false teaching. And Paul calls Peter out on this. So let's read Galatians chapter two, verse 11 to 16, when Paul confronts Peter. So it says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, the other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile? Why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? 
You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will be made right with God by obeying the law. Well, he really told him off, didn't he? <laughs> it seems clear that it was fear of man. Um, fear of, maybe it was peer pressure. Maybe it was not wanting to lose the esteem of these other Jewish believers. Something led Peter to go back and act in a way that was completely contrary to his faith and, 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 and contrary to the gospel message of, of hope and freedom. Now, the hierarchy of Jew and Gentile was a social construct, and it no longer um, applied under Christ. The gospel doesn't say, do this one extra thing and you'll be saved. It says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And that's Romans 10, 9. Now, we can place such significance on, on, on things that are social constructs, that are of the world. I know that I got caught up in that um, before I started following Christ. It was a very frustrating life for me, actually. I just felt like I was banging my head against the wall over and over and over and over and over again because I was just doing the same thing over and over again, and I was expecting something different to happen, but it didn't. I think that's the definition of insanity. But we are broken and we're sinful, and we just can't fulfill ourselves. It can't be done. So... You know, we try though, don't we? Even as believers, even following Christ, I still find myself sometimes under the grip of these worldly principles. Now, thank goodness I have the Holy Spirit in me to um, convict me and guide me back on the right path. Um, and, and we all have, um, you know, forgiveness, Christ's forgiveness at our fingertips. If we believe in Jesus, then even when we slip up, we can just confess our sins. We can turn away from them and turn back to God. There's no limit. There's no maximum um, amount of times that we, that we can experience this um, type of forgiveness. The gospel message is for everyone. I mean, who did Jesus sit with? If you're not familiar with the New Testament, I'm going to tell you right now that he sat with the most reviled people of society. He sat with the prostitutes, the tax collectors. He sat with the, the lepers and just the sinners. And you know what? He didn't just sit with them. He healed them. He forgave them. He set them free, free from the law of sin and death. Galatians 5 verse 1 tells us, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up in slavery to the law. For us, for us, we can think of it in terms of don't get tied up in slavery to these worldly principles, these worldly forces, these man-made rules. And let us not prevent anyone from accessing this hope found only in Christ Jesus. I mean, who are we really to set up boundaries to Christ, or barriers to Christ? Like God shows no favoritism. So why would we show favoritism? So we need to be really careful that we um, watch what our actions and words are, that we don't shut out anyone from the kingdom of God, from the church community, from the gospel message. Because if we do this, we're going to distort the gospel message. So just pay attention to your attitude, where your heart's at, and please just don't follow the crowd without, and, 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 and human knowledge without seeking God's wisdom. 
we have that available to us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. If, if you believe in Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. So we just need to um, listen. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. If he lights something up to you, don't close your eyes. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And instead of getting drawn into the worldly seductions that entice the flesh, we are now free. We are free to follow Christ, to obey what God shows us, his will for us. God sent Paul to Jerusalem. That's why he went. So in the letter to the Galatian church in chapter two, verse two, Paul wrote, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. See, he didn't question it. He didn't analyze it. He didn't go and ask a billion people if he should go. He just went. Now, God speaks to each one of us uniquely. So you need to get to know how God speaks to you. He could drop words into your head. Actually, it's very important that you, um, that, that you stay in the word of God because the, the word is active and alive. And God will use the word of God um, to speak to you throughout your day, your daily life. Um, it could be when you're you know, out for a walk and you bump into someone and they might say the exact same word that you just read in the Bible or the same verse. Or it could be um, something, a sermon you hear on the radio that repeats it. God can show you um, names or numbers repeatedly that, that have significance and that, that he's trying to tell you something. So there's many different ways that God speaks to us. It doesn't have to be an audible voice. I know that I don't hear an audible voice from God. And we need to stay connected to God through being in his word, being in prayer, and being open to when the Holy Spirit reveals something to us. There is a difference between human wisdom and heavenly wisdom, and we're to, we can seek heavenly wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5 and 6 encourages us to ask God for wisdom. He writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So we, we have this wisdom at our disposal. That's also part of living God's way is seeking his wisdom. Now we are to be united of one mind about Christ. Yes, but you have to understand that God has an individual plan for each one of us. He might lead you to do one thing and me to do something completely different. And we're not to argue about it, but we are to continue going out on our own faith journey, being a light and sharing the gospel message of hope. In Acts chapter 5, verse 25, 29, at this point in time, Jesus has already died. He's been resurrected. He's ascended to heaven. And the, his followers, his, his apostles are out um, sharing the good news. And at this point, Peter and the other apostles that were with him, they were brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin. That's the um, religious leaders. And they were brought before them because they were still preaching the good news, even though they've been told not to. When they were challenged as to why they continued to go against the orders and to uh, stop preaching in Jesus' name, P Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. Now the new revised standard version, the new living translation and the new century version of the Bible reads, we must obey God rather than human authority. And that kind of makes sense to me because people we're messed up. We're sinful. We're broken. We have wicked hearts. Um, God is perfect. Now, the commentary in my Bible, when I read about this, stated that the apostles knew their priorities. And while we should, of course, try to live at peace 
with everyone, conflicts with the world and its authorities are sometimes inevitable for a Christian. There will be situations where you cannot obey both God and man. You cannot obey both God and what people are telling you to do. Then you must obey God and trust him. Trust his word. Trust his spirit. Let Jesus' words in Luke 6.22 encourage you in those, these times when this happens. It says, what blessings await you when people hate you and curse you and mock you and exclude you um, as evil because you follow the son of man. We now have freedom in Christ. Freedom to, to live by the spirit. Freedom to seek God's will and obey God. And we're no longer bound by these elemental, elementary spiritual principles of the world. They're there still. They're fully active. And it's a bit of a battle. But we have freedom. We have the knowledge, the godly knowledge and the wisdom at our fingertips so that we do not need to live that way anymore. We can live God's way. God's way is through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way. And I'm going to end with a verse found in Galatians chapter 5. It's verse 25. It says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you so much that we are no longer um, bound by sin and death. That because of your Son um, and his sacrifice on the cross, that we have freedom we have freedom. We have forgiveness. We have eternal life in heaven with you available to us. And all we need to do, all we need to do is believe. But Lord, it is difficult, these, um, you know, these, these element, elementary spiritual principles that are in the world, these um, temptations of the flesh that are out there, and we are still living inside of our fleshly human bodies. So Lord, I pray that you give us all um, the wisdom that we need um, and you give us all uh, the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Help us to listen to the Holy Spirit and help us to have the strength and courage to obey you, God, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how difficult it may be for us. Lord, as long as we know that it is you leading us there, you're going to help carry us through. You're going to be with us each step of the way, Lord. And we have a wonderful future to look forward to. I pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.